Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now you found it. This is Alan Smith's Ask the Trucker Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world. With your hosts, Alan and Donna Smith, focusing on driver health, careers, regulations, and the important issues facing the industry. It's time to shut down that big rig, sit back, and come join the conversation. Ask the Trucker Live begins right now all right welcome back to the show everyone and donna i think you had the uh intro set for automatic huh yeah i sure did <laughs> yeah something i might have needed to know before the show that's why <laughs> it started and then it quit and then it started again but i didn't know that but anyway welcome back to the show everyone today is saturday april 11th 2015 Appreciate you tuning in to the program, and this evening we'll be discussing an issue that has really been a hot topic since its conception, the CSA, the Compliance, Safety, and Accountability Program rolled out in 2010 by the FMCSA as a new nationwide system for making our roads safer for carriers and the general public as well. But if you recall, CSA 2010 has three major components to measure safety performance among carriers and drivers, a measurement, evaluation, and intervention. And within the CSA model is the SMS, the Safety Measurement System, operating off of what are known as the BASICS, which stands for Behavior Analysis and Safety Improvement Categories. And these BASICS, if you recall, are Unsafe Driving, HOS Compliance, Driver Fitness, um, controlled substance, alcohol, vehicle maintenance, hazardous materials compliance, and the crash indicator. And since the very beginning of CSA 2010, the program has been scrutinized by most within the industry, including the ATA and OIDA, due to the belief that the program is flawed and represents incomplete and inaccurate data and is especially unfair to the small uh, motor carrier. And this unfairness to the small carrier is uh, extremely important to keep in mind. Uh, as, as of 2011, the total number of categorized motor carriers in the U.S. were about 1.2 million. I think it fell to about 750,000 in the bust of 08 and uh, climbed up a little bit more. But of that figure, 97% operate 20 or fewer trucks while 90% operate six or less. So the small carrier really is the lifeblood of the trucking industry. The, the uh, ATA, OIDA, and, and many others have argued against the FMCSA CSA program, further uh, discussing the unfairness of the data toward carriers, including a recent report from the United States Government Accountability Office, the GAO, which identified several problems with the CSA and its SMS scoring method. And with this faulty information made public, we'll, uh, we'll discuss further how this program is extremely unfair to carriers and, and drivers as well. And, Donna, if you remember, we were talking about the problem 
with CSA 2010 with Richard Wilson of tcrgconsulting.com on this program in 2010. So this right. is, it's been an issue since it rolled out of the gate. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and it, it just seems to get like, I don't know, the word snarlier <laughs> as time goes on. Um, and I, I think, I know we'll probably get to it in the show, but I think um, there is a certain level of arrogance also and that was obvious when the that app came out um uh, uh, are you aware um well, I'm sure you're aware uh, our listeners are aware of uh there was an app I'm trying to find my notes on that let's see it came out about the 19th of March it's a QC mobile app and it actually allows for these um rankings of in CSA and and when that came out I think the GOA you know the GAO I mean I'm sorry uh went nuts on that the director of the GA, GAO uh actually went on a radio program I, I think it was the Mark Willis program on Sirius XM Road Dog and uh said that they were in favor of removing these scores from public view and the app is just another way of publicly displaying information that we, meaning the GAO, uh, do not consider to be reliable. So that's a pretty harsh statement. And yet, with all the controversy, they went ahead and uh, released an app, which which I was floored. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I know everybody else must be too. I'd like to hear what people think about that. Um, uh, the call-in number tonight is um, 347-826-9170, and uh, you'll have to click one on your uh, phone pad to let us know that you want to talk. So, um, yeah, if, if I'd really like to hear what people thought about that app because I know I was I just stared at it. I didn't know what to think. And yeah, and with the with the information made public, even with the FMCSA developing an app to get it out there for the public view. Another unfair obstacle for carriers. If a, if an insurer or a, a broker or shipper is interested in doing business with a carrier and they view this public information on that carrier, which happens to be based off of flawed data, and declines doing business with that carrier, the carrier loses, the, their driver loses. Completely unfair, but we'll discuss it further. And, of course, this is an open forum show, so if anything you would like to throw in the mix, more than welcome. And again, our call in number three four seven eight two six nine one seven zero. And uh, as Donna said, if you'd like to join in the conversation, just press one on your keypad at any time, and I should see you pop up on the dashboard. So, quick break. Our show this evening, Open Trucking Forum, addressing FMCSA shortcomings, and it's all coming up on uh, Ask the Trucker Live. You're listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith on Blog Talk Radio. Don't go anywhere. Alan and Donna will be right back. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here. Have you been driving a big rig for a while now and considering starting your own business as an owner-operator? Well, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing offers the best lease purchase plan in the industry. With a small down payment and monthly payments around $1,000 or less, you make the monthly payment, and when the final payment is made, they hand over the title. It really is that simple. There is no big balloon payment at the end, and secondly, the truck is yours, not a lease plan under one truck and company. 
So if becoming an owner-operator is your goal, do it the right way. Do it the best way. Contact Lone Mountain Truck Leasing on the web at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free at 866-512-5685. That's LoneMountainTruck.com. This is Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at askthetrucker.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, we're back, and uh, earlier, you know, we mentioned the recent study by the GAO, the United States Government Accountability Office, which cited several problems with the FMCSA CSA program, and, you know, we're always hearing about this study and that study, but, uh, you know, Donna, what what is the United States Government Accountability Office? Um, well, I guess that's just what it is. It keeps people on their toes, you know. Um, a lot of people are asking, what about a, a, a GAO report on the hours of service, which, you know, we might get into uh, a little bit of that tonight, what's going on with that. Um, but, you know, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's an accountability to uh, to keep the government on their toes, and it's a government office, so it's like a self a self auditing, you know, type of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's my that's my uh, interpretation of it. Um if somebody else, you know, well, has a different interpretation of it, you know, I think you know, I'm well, welcome to hear it, but I don't know of anything else it could be. Well, I mean, basically that's it. It's an independent, nonpartisan agency that works for Congress. And as Donna said, it's often known as the Congressional Watchdog, and it was established in 1921. The head of the GAO is the Comptroller General of the United States who's appointed by the President. So in short, the GAO is the investigative arm of Congress, and they are a United States government electronic data provider. So here we have a legislative branch of the United States government providing a study on a nationwide program, the CSA, administered by the FMCSA, a government agency, under the authority of the U.S. Department of Transportation, a government agency, stating that the CSA and SMS method of scoring is flawed and unfair. So, Donna, I don't know about you, but I find I find that pretty interesting. You know, it's kind of like, you know, government against government here. Yeah, well, it just, I'll tell you what, <clears throat> it, it makes me feel better about the government that um, they have an agency within their their own that it's actually uh, looking out for this i i maybe they should go do a report on the fda and some of the other stuff <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, all right well, I, that's a different show that's a different show yeah, okay no we can get into the politics and <laughs> be here forever but and there are many others who agree with those being veteran professional truck drivers and tom byerly is a 44-year truck driving veteran and now owner of yourtruckbroker.com and that's you are the letters you are truckbroker.com so he comes from the driving sector and broker side as well and to share his thoughts on all of this and and how he has gotten involved with this CSA issue so hey Tom welcome welcome to the show glad to have you here thank you Alan it's nice to be here 
How's everything going for you? I know we got to uh, meet and greet a little bit last year on the Industry at Sea conference to uh, Nassau and Cocoa Islands, uh, but you were a hard man to catch sometimes. You must have been island hopping or something. Yeah, I'm pretty busy. Well, I had my wife with me, you know, and she, shopping is her key word, so that kind of answers for my whereabouts. <laughs> well, it was good business and a really good learning experience. I just absolutely, really, truly enjoyed it and uh, got to meet some great people and learn, you know, listen to other people from the other sides of the industry. But listen, you've recently got involved in the CSA thing. You wrote a letter to uh, to Congress, I believe. But t- tell us what's going on. Fill us in on uh, how you got involved in all this. Well, CSA, uh, I wasn't brokering yet when CSA went into effect, so I got to experience some of this uh, uh, when it was put into practice. Uh, and Donna had mentioned earlier that, yeah, their information is flawed. It, it, it's, it's flawed because it's not really getting accurate data. And I believe that this, there's a lot of issues on my beliefs here on the CSA. One is uh, you can be stopped by an officer either driving down the road or at an inspection station. Uh, You can be inspected. Uh, He can just simply write, "Um, I stopped you for, let's say, following too close. I'm not going to give you a ticket, but that's why I stopped you. Well, this translates to 37 points on your CSA and you've been convicted, and you haven't even had a trial or a chance to defend yourself. And uh, that's without the violation ticket, correct? That's without a violation. That's with no ticket. That's just because that's what he wrote down for the reason for stopping you. Um, and you can go through data queue, you know, to protest this, but where does your protest go? It goes right straight to the officer that stopped you. And on a, uh, I'm going to give a couple of examples here. Uh, one is uh, I was up in Oklahoma City, and I was in uh, the right lane. Traffic was moderate. Uh, a car merged onto the interstate and come around on my right side there and just and cut right over in front of me, just a little bit too close. Well, there happened to be an officer sitting right there, and he threw the lights on me instead of the car. He wrote me for following too close. 37 points on my CSA. I uh, protested the system through the data queue, and the officer's response was, well, just because I didn't write you a ticket doesn't mean it didn't happen. My response to that was, well, you didn't give me a ticket because... You can't prove it in court. Uh, and there's a lot of drivers that are going through this same type of situation. And there are carriers that are terminating drivers because their points get too high for things that they may or may not have done. And it's not just CSA had, well, it was a good idea to start with. But the way they're uh, enforcing it is is totally out of line. It's a violation of our constitutional rights. There's nothing in place to keep the officer honest, so to speak. So we are gathering data from 
small carriers, drivers, trucking companies, uh, anyone that wants to put their input into this. Uh, and we've created a uh, special email for that where they, people could send their responses or their comments on this. It's csa at truckmail.us. And we'll take any, uh, we'll respond to all the emails that we get. We, we're gathering this information so that we can present it with our case that we have, that we have sent uh, up here to the congressmen that are supporting a bill to remove the CSA data from public view. Uh, I think it should be removed from everything because it's not filled with accurate data. Okay, Tom, I just want to ask you a question. Um, I'm reading your letter. Now, is your letter uh, from the Small Business and Transportation Coalition, or is it from you personally? Because, um, uh, you know, just, just so our, our audience knows, you, um, you're an AIPPA board, you're AIPPA board member uh, on, and uh, SBTC Advisory Council. So is this thing behind what you're doing, is that part of SBTC? Or is it yes. something you're doing uh, as your trucker, truckbroker.com? Well, I I presented this to uh, Jim Lamb, and uh, he gave me a, a, a kind of the other vote I needed to go ahead and proceed with, with gathering the data. And I've been gathering the data, and uh, uh, I got wind that this uh, um, congressman was, was filing this bill, to have the CSA data hid from view. And in support of this issue, uh, that's why I wrote the letter, to offer him the uh, data that we've been collecting and that, that we hope to uh, continue to collect here uh, to aid in his battle uh, of getting that bill passed. Okay. Well, I know James is on the line. I don't know. I guess we could just open his line up, too, in case he wants to jump in and say something about this. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. You know, James, your line your line's open as well, so jump in when you feel like it. Yeah, sure. Uh, great to be back in the studio. Hope everybody's doing okay today. Yeah, doing uh, good. How about yourself? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. James, good to hear from you again. Yeah, fan- fantastic today. Um, we've got a lot of stuff going on here, and, and um, you know, with respect to this issue and what, you know, James uh, is doing, um, you know, what, what we've done is we've basically said, you know, we need to conduct this study and we kind of need to thoroughly understand exactly what's going on with CSA. And, um, you know, the issue that, uh, you know, Tom has zeroed in on with respect to, you know, the, um, the issue of the trucker not getting a formal ticket but still getting, you know, derogatory marks on, on CSA for the carrier and all, you know, this this is an issue that really goes to due process, and it's really about, you know, whether there's a uh, a fault in the system. You know, forget about uh, everything else for a moment. Just if we zero in on that one particular issue, you know, this is uh, basically Tom coming to, to us and saying, you know, uh, this is wrong because there's a significant – um, loss for the driver's rights. You know, we're really talking about how you can be, um, you know, told that you did something wrong, 
and have the normal process that should exist to dispute that taken away from you, you know, through a, a bureaucratic process of, you know, well, we're not giving you the formal ticket. So, in other words, it's it's really a matter of uh, law enforcement taking action that has a real and significant impact on the driver and the carrier, but um, he's not afforded the typical opportunity to challenge that law enforcement uh, allegation. So, you know, from a matter of truckers' rights and carrier rights and all that, you know, what we're concerned about at the moment, you know, we'll get to all the other issues in due time as we're concluding all the research and all, but on this particular issue, it seems, you know, very apparent and very clear to me that, you know, what we're looking at here is a, a faulty setup that denies the trucker due process, and that's, that's really what we're trying to get yeah, and Tom, you mentioned the example you gave, you know, was like 37 points. What does that mean to the newcomer coming into the industry? I mean, if I remember right, the the, the point score is like from 0 to 100 with 100 being the worst. So 37 points right off the bat, man, you're almost halfway there. And, Donna, we were talking about this earlier, just, just a warning. Even a warning, uh, you know, will put those points on there. So, uh, oh, you're on you're on mute. Isn't that what you're saying, uh, Tom, that he just gave you a warning? No, he didn't give any warning at all, no written warning at all. He just did a, uh, uh, he just says, this is why I stopped you, and uh, didn't write an official warning ticket or nothing, but he did a FMCSA report of stop, an inspection. And he says, oh, wow. he continued to he continued to list down further on the on the form, uh, no violations noted. So I had a no violations uh, inspection, reason for stop following two coasts. It cost me thirty seven points. No way to defend it. No way to get it off of there. And since uh, you published the article uh, the other day. I have gotten several emails, and uh, one is from a small carrier that was put out of business because of the CSA, which he's had no reason, no way to defend himself on. Um, uh, others that you know that that were forced to. Uh, um, I got one email here from a guy this morning. He uh, was written up, and the officer escorted him to a shop costing $2,000 for the repairs, and uh, it was close to his home. And on another occasion, he was in the shop for something else, and this same officer comes walking into the office, sitting down there having uh, uh, coffee, cake, and donuts with the uh, uh, proprietor of the business. Now, to me, that kind of makes you think that maybe there's something fishy going on there. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, the... And you know, remember, Donna, the SMS uses the 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 data from the roadside inspection. So I guess even without a warning, uh, well, this the is data all the data was you know was sent. That's it. It's using that data. It's using that data, and there's been no formal charges. But you know, enough of those. A guy is put out of work. He can't get a job. Now I was unable to. Uh, moved from one company to the next for three years. 
because they counted it as a following too close traffic conviction, and nobody will take you to those kind of offenses that are at least three years old. Well, I hope that that, I hope somebody in Congress is listening and understands it because this is new to me. I I thought you I mean I thought it was bad enough and and uh, James helped me out here. I thought it was bad enough that uh, the warning tickets uh, that you couldn't really fight on Data Queue, and now I'm hearing that you don't even need a warning ticket. You just need um, to be stopped and. I, I mean, I'm just floored by this. You know, this reminds me, Alan, this reminds me when CSA, uh, it was called back then CSA 2010, first came out, was just being discussed. And uh, it was in the days when, um, you know, we I remember we had this huge show because nobody knew what, what it was all about. And um, I, I, anyway... And you wrote a post on Ask the Trucker, and it was called CSA Another DAC, something like that, right? Yeah. Because with DAC, you, you're you guilty until proven innocent, not innocent until proven guilty. And that was the same thought. And everybody said, no, 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 it's not going to work that way. It, it, it goes by your violations and your accidents and all like this. Well, I I, I'm going too. back. Okay, I mean, you can go on on Ask the Trucker and just go in the Ask the Trucker search bar and and write DAC CSA and and I'm sure the article will come up. But that was a prediction, and I can, hearing this now, I I can't believe it. I, I it's just like I said, I knew about the warning ticket, but now you're saying this didn't even have a warning attached to it. No, there was there were yeah, the no no warning. Actually, the 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 inspection report says reason for stop following too close, uh, no violations noted. Yeah, uh, but because because of that because of that roadside inspection uh, form that was sent in as data, that's what they go by. So the thirty-seven points are on there. I Correct. see. Okay, because it was a roadside inspection. Right. Okay, that's where the all the data for for SMS comes from the roadside inspections. How much of that okay. happens? Where they write stuff like that down, and and you know whether it's true or not. Well, you know what that does. I mean, I, I'd like to think that most most people are honest people, including um, you know law enforcement. But the, the truth of the matter is. We live in an imperfect world with imperfect people, and, and a person's uh, position in life does not automatically grant them integrity and character, okay? It doesn't matter right. what your position is, whether you're you're the president or, you know, or, or whatever, you know, uh, it, it, your character is important. So with that being said, okay, there could be people who, you know, maybe they have it in for somebody or they're in a bad mood and they, you know, somebody just um, was just on their nerves that day and, and they decide to do this. And there is no, it's guilty until proven innocent. So you're saying that you can still though go in data queue the way it's set up now? 
and there's no form to fill out, you have to go back to the officer. And how does That's, the no, officer... There is a form to fill out on DataQ. It's a process. You bring up the citation number, and you and you fill out the DataQ, and you fill out your response. You upload your, your evidence or, or whatever. Uh, in this case, uh, I uploaded a video from my uh, dash cam that uh, recorded the whole incident, and uh, the response came back. Well, just because I didn't give you a ticket doesn't mean it didn't happen. And it stays on, it stays on the data queue. But data queue sends that to the officer that stopped you. It goes to him or his immediate supervisor. Those are the only two people that review that data queue response. But didn't so he see the dash cam, the, the video? Whether he whether he saw whether he bothered to look at it or not, you know who knows. It was enclosed, but whether he bothered to look at it or not is is you know his opinion. I mean, you know, maybe his daughter started really dating a truck driver and it made him mad and he wanted to get revenge. Who knows? You know, that, well, that's my of, point. You know, yeah, you know who knows that there's no nothing there to keep in place to keep the officer honest. If they're going to have a data queue, have it monitored and responded to and validated by a neutral third party that has nothing to do with any law enforcement agency. And, and James, so this is just one again. Yeah. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. No. Go ahead. That that was just you know that's a, that to me would would take it take the the. the uh, double checking of these out, you know what I mean, or you know have it go before a review board or or something where a driver has a voice because this way he's being convicted without a trial. I believe our constitution prohibits that. And that was a point, James. I was going to say. I mean, this is just an example of just one example Tom's giving. I mean, you could be pulled over for roadside inspection and receive a warning for a tail light being out. The points go on there, but I think the point Tom's kind of clearly making here is that even with the data queue system and everything, the driver really doesn't have any any clear means of, of fighting it if it is something, you know, like Tom went through that, you know, was just incorrect. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm I'm thinking of the other, other similarities here that, you know, are popping into my head. You know, one of them is uh, some of the discussions that we had on one of the, the shows uh, a while back with um, with Kenny Capel. And if you remember, Kenny had been stopped by that uh, officer, and uh, she had stopped him, you know, a couple of times in a, in a matter of a, a few weeks. And in that second incident um, where – actually, I can't remember if it was the first incident or the second incident, but during one of those stops uh, when um, – you know, he, he actually, I guess it was the first one because he actually must have uh, cooperated with that one where he produced his ID to the officer and he came out of the sleeper berth and now he was back on duty. You'll recall that the officer at the time said, well, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pretend that this didn't happen and, you know, you don't have to log this. And, you know, that was like an arbitrary statement that the law enforcement officer is just making that you know doesn't um it's not grounded in law and it's it's inappropriate and you know there's there's all sorts of issues here so what what we're talking about really is 
uh, and I think Tom hit the nail on the head, we're talking about the trucker's right to have an independent uh, review of the officer's uh, conclusion, I guess you would say. I mean, if it's not a ticket, it's an inspection report um, item, you know, where he drew a conclusion. And, you know, what's what's the process at that point to contest that? You know, what I'm thinking, what, what I'm also thinking about is imagine if, uh, as ridiculous as this whole thing is sounding here, imagine if uh, on uh, on a um, complaint to a police department about police abuse, because that's one of the big topics right now over the last six months, as we mm-hmm. all know. You know, uh, imagine if the process was the the person complains to the police department about the officer, you know, doing physical violence and abuse, and the process is for that that complaint to go back to that police officer for his action on the complaint. You know, that's really that's really what we're talking about. Of course, he's going to say, well, you know, I'm right, and there was no abuse. You know, that. That right. would be his decision. Right. But instead what we have in, you know, in these types of situations is a citizen review board. And the citizen review board looks at this and then makes a determination. And then, you know, there may be even an official police department internal affairs investigation, like what would happen with, you know, Kenny Capel after we protested that whole incident to the United States Department of Justice. Magically, you know, they started to review that. You shouldn't have to go through hoops and, you know, and cha- – and, um, whatever that slogan is, you know what I'm talking about. You know, mm-hmm, you have yeah. to go crazy here, um, you know, to, to, to get justice on your particular little issue. And so that's, that's really what, what seems to be happening here. So I think, you know, the, the, the idea of contacting a member of Congress at this point, um, you know, is, uh, is really good. It's very unfortunate. And, you know, for those folks at FMCSA who wind up, you know, listening to, uh, to this, um, you know, podcast after the fact, you know, that, that are not on the line with us now. Um, the message that I have to them is, you know, I'm very disappointed a year later after having gone down to, to FMCSA and having to say, having said, you know, we're, we're, we're a new group, you know, Small Business and Transportation Coalition, and, you know, we're looking to uh, create partnerships not only among ourselves in terms of the players of the, the industry, but we're, we're looking to, to formulate you know, problem-solving partnerships with the agency, you know, with FMCSA, safe truck parking, for instance. Remember I went down there and we, you know, flew all right. the way from Florida to, to, you know, Washington, D.C., and we met with them. You know, you know what the result of, of that meeting has been? Absolutely not. Uh, right. There's no, there's no response. And when I write to them, I don't get, you know, responses anymore. So, you know, if, and, and I think, you know, the bottom line is that, uh, you know, in my capacity as AIPBA president, we're, you know, we're kind of, um, you know, still engaged in lawsuits with them, and they just don't want to talk to us because we're suing, you know. So, you know, the, the, this clamming up type of a thing, it cuts off the ability for us to first go to FMCSA and say, hey, you know, there's this problem here, and we're trying to solve this problem. And, you know, we would really like to hear what you think about this. You know, when drivers are in this situation, it, it appears that there's no due process right. Now, one of the things is, that may be the case that there is, in fact, no due process right, but there may be a regulatory recourse that's kind of in the regulations but is hidden, and maybe even the law enforcement officers that are out there don't know what that process is, and it's just not being properly communicated. So, in other words, back in the day for safety fitness ratings, there was, there was a process that you could go through, you know, and you still can, to uh, to get that changed. You could, uh, you know, file a 
uh, request for a review and, and get that resolved. So, you know, the question is whether, and, you know, I'm, I haven't been intricately involved in, uh, in CSA uh, over, over the, you know, the past few years, but uh, as we start to kind of delve into this and we start to look for that, you know, that type of a, um, adjudicatory structure, number one is, is it, is it there? And we, you know, all just don't know about it. Uh, and number two, if it isn't, you know, Congress, you should go to FMCSA at this point and say, hey, you know, you really need to put it in there because that's a matter of truckers' rights. And lastly, if it's not in there, you know, then, or, or I should say if it is in there, then ultimately what is the process that's out there to educate the people who should know, you know, to tell the trucker, here's your, you know, your inspection report. Now that's going to go on, on um, you know, it's going to be uh, recorded against you, but you have this, this process you can go through to appeal this. And the structure then has to be something other than it goes back to the cop and the cop says, yeah, I did everything right. You know? So that's, that's really, I think, where uh, Tom is, is trying to go with this. And, you know, I applaud him and, can, and commend him for, uh, for taking the initiative on this. He came to me a while back and he said, hey, we've got to look into this. And then we started to see, you know, the, that particular congressman um, starting to review, you know, this uh, portion of CSA um, and where the score should be visible and all. And, and so he really took, uh, took the bull by the horns and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, is, doing, is doing the industry, I think, some good here in terms of uh, bringing this uh, uh, to everybody's attention? Well, not only that, it, it's, it goes to the next stage of you've got those points, and now those points are being uh, measured. Uh, the, the methodology that they're using now are also going against you and ranking you in this faulty uh, scoring that the GAO report has confirmed, um, the ATRI research has confirmed, OIDA's research has confirmed. I mean, everybody says that this stuff is, is wrong, and now it's in public view to boot. So it, it's like a domino effect uh, all the way all the way through. So, um, I, you know, the, the congressman that, you know, is, is really pushing was the, uh, that Lou... Uh, Barletta, he's uh, um, from Pennsylvania. He's a Republican from Pennsylvania, and that he is. Pennsylvania. <laughs> what is it, Tom? Pennsylvania is one of the roughest states on your CSA score and on truck drivers as far as getting inspections is. <laughs> it really surprised me that he was from Pennsylvania, and that's kind of why I support him so much. Well, you know, it could be because Pennsylvania is so difficult that there was a lot of complaints uh, to him uh, from uh, from people in the state. So, you know, maybe it, he was made aware of the problem. Let's face it, um, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And if people aren't aware of what's going on, they don't know, so maybe that's why he. Who knows? I mean, it could be another reason, of course. But I'm um, thinking, you know, I he. Uh, he in, yeah, I had an officer in Pennsylvania inspect me, and this was when I was pulling the the super loads, the windmill blades, and uh, he just made the comment. He says, "I'm not here to inspect your truck. I'm here to put you out of business and get you off of the road." 
And and did he say? I mean, I mean, I'm. <laughs> I know I always seem so shocked, <laughs> but always, I shouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, the comment. You know, I got to tell you who he was, but you know, but he was a Pennsylvania state trooper. You know, doing these in, 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 these inspections. On that, it to me is the wrong attitude for an officer to have. Okay, but did he give you a reason why he felt that way? Did he feel that you were doing something dangerous, or did he just not like trucks? No. I mean, what was? No, no. You know, we were just just talking during the comp- course of the inspection. You know, and you know, you, you, you all jack back and forth a little bit here, you know, here and there, you know. And uh, uh, I had asked the question, you know, you know, how he liked his job, you know, and this was the comment that came out of his mouth. So I mean, apparently he liked his job, but he had the wrong idea of what his job was. Wow. What do you think of that, James? Is that does that blow you away? No, not at all. <laughs> I can't <laughs> out. <laughs> For those of you listeners who you know who don't know, uh, I know you know. Uh, um, I'm a former DOT motor carrier investigator, and I did that job for I don't know about five years in the, the mid to late '90s. Uh, not in Pennsylvania, but in New York, and of course, uh, not much difference when it comes to um, you know the the folks that are in the um, the industry um, in law enforcement, regulatory affairs, uh, types of positions in New York. You know, New York and California are probably the two biggest um, uh, hard edges, I guess you would say, when it comes to that. Right. But, you know, but the the point here is that um, each individual officer usually comes from a different school of thought. And, you know, I remember uh, 22 years ago when I first got hired at DOT and, and I actually got trained with uh, two other guys that, you know, we were all in the same class, um, recruitment class, I guess you would say, and we all took the same exam on the same day. And basically – um, you know, our careers over the next five years kind of uh, went in, in different directions in terms of our, um, you know, I guess you would say law enforcement perspective. And so there was one guy that was there, and I won't name any names, but he really didn't want to be there. He needed a job, and he was out of college, and he, he just kind of went through the motions. And then there was another guy on the exact opposite side of the spectrum. He's the guy that kind of, you know, I think – um, Tom ran into in this instance, and he's the kind of guy who's by the book and spends, you know, Friday nights kind of, I don't know, reading the regulation books, trying to find something new that no one ever heard of to impress everybody and be able to give somebody a ticket instead of hanging out with his wife kind of a thing. I don't know. But that, there was that kind of character, you know, and, and that, that guy would walk into somebody's office and do an audit and basically find nothing wrong and then say, but uh-huh. You know, you forgot to put your certificate of authority up on the wall. And if it's not framed in an eight-and-a-half by 11, you know, glass uh, um, frame, in that case, here's a $250 fine. <laughs> so, you know, the, mm-hmm. there were those two. And then there were the people, at least from my perspective, that were kind of in the middle that were like, well, you know, we have a job to do. We're going to do it in a zealous way. But, you know, we want to make sure that we're not here to bust anybody's chops unnecessarily. This is not a power trip. We're not trying to, you know, make life difficult for business people and workers. It's really a matter of, of are you doing the right thing by the public? Are you, you know, doing things in a safe manner when it comes to economic regulation? For instance, you know, a lot of what I did dealt with the moving industry. Are you ripping consumers off, you know, uh, as a household goods mover? That that really was what the, the essence of it was supposed to be, and that's the philosophy I, I follow. So it all depends on who you're dealing with. 
And, right, know, and it all comes down to humanity, right? I mean, that's it. it, it it's all in all forms, all levels, yeah, all everything. Are, are you being decent, you know, to one another, or you know, are are you doing something that you know you're doing just for kicks in some you know crazy way? And some of these guys need psychiatric evaluations. I mean, they're really they shouldn't have badges and guns, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, James, while I have you on the phone, I I, I don't mean to to you know get off in another uh, topic, but um, I was very intrigued over the um, unlicensed broker deal that you're fighting with the FMCSA because tonight is an FMCSA deal. Um, yeah. Actually, you've got a couple of things going on. You've got the AIPPA thing um, with the, uh, what do you call it, the exemption that they denied for the 75K bond. But, um, hey, uh, you, what's going on with well, either me, of those? Yeah, let me, uh, I was going to bring that up a little bit later, but let me uh, let me take a quick break here, James and Tom, and uh, we'll come back and I'm uh, going to get a, another view from uh, Tom as well over this because, uh, you know, he is the uh, broker now too. So anyway, let me take a quick break. We'll be right back and we'll pick that right up. Be right back. Okay. You're listening to Ask the Trucker Live on Blog Talk Radio. Don't go anywhere. Alan and Donna will be right back. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Ask the Trucker Live, and I want to tell you how you can save big money with Pivot Technology Resources. Pivot Technology Resources is the trucking industry's only source for quality new and used mobile communications and asset tracking equipment. With Pivot Technology Resources, you can have the latest technology such as Omnitrack's MCP50 and the MCP200, or PeopleNet BLU2 or PD4, and for around half the price of going directly through the manufacturer. Here's how they are able to bring you quality technology at such a low cost. Pivot Technology Resources obtains working in-cab computers from companies that go out of business, downsize their fleet, or change their technologies. Their team of professionals guarantee that they are in working order and even offers a brand new in-house warranty and all for about half the price. They even will buy your equipment as well. Find out more by calling 1-800-679-0177 and visit them on the web at pivotresources.com. Discover why so many of the most respected companies in the country have relied on their expertise. one 800 6790177 pivotresources.com This is Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back and just real quick Tom uh you know, you drove for so many years. Now, now you have now you're a broker, your broker or your truckbroker dot com. You know, with this FM, with the CSA information coming out public and everything, uh, one of the points you were getting across too was, uh, I mean, it, it I mean, it, it kind of hurts everybody involved, and it actually can even hurt the broker. I mean, if a broker is checking out a motor carrier based on flawed information. Um, I mean that's that's uh, unfair to everybody involved as well. So uh, tell tell us a little bit now, uh, real quick. We'll bring James on and we'll get into this broker stuff, the seventy-five thousand dollar bond and the unlicensed broker. But 
Tell us a little bit. Uh, when, when did you start your truckbroker.com? Tell us a little bit about that. I started that in uh, 2011, and uh, main, my main reason for starting it was I, I wanted a, a business to convert into when when I retired from driving because you know you can't drive forever. You get to be as old as me, and uh, the white lines go by faster than you can see. So yeah, uh, I needed uh, something to go into, so I started that. And then shortly after that, they they started. You know, uh, TIA and OIDA started um, promoting this $100,000 bond. Uh, I voiced my opinion to OIDA. I told them exactly what I thought of them supporting that issue. It wasn't really, uh, you know, didn't go along really with their creed too well. That, that's not supporting the little guy when they do that. Uh, so then I uh, decided to open my doors because I wanted. I knew this was going to put a lot of brokers out of business. A lot of them didn't have, you know, the wherewithal or or the track record that they could get grandfathered in and get these new bonds. So I wanted them to have a place to go so they didn't have to give their business over to these mega brokers that, you know, we all know are not in it to uh, uh, help the truck drivers stay in business. Uh, right. So... Uh, that's why I started it. I started it back in 2011. Uh, the first year or so, I didn't do anything with it except for, you know, pull my own freight because I had my own authority at that time also. Uh, uh, then I started uh, uh, training brokers. Uh, I'm one of the few people out there that will take on somebody that's totally inexperienced and train them and teach them and, and mentor them through the business and get them started. But uh, uh, as far as that, uh, you get into uh, this issue that you were talking about here with James about these unlicensed brokers, and I'm sorry, I'm, I was I was guilty of that until I got that notification there from James about this issue because I had had a couple of dispatch services that that I was working with, and the issue that what I the problem that I faced then was. How do I present this to them that, that they're operating illegally without making them think that I'm trying to take them over? You know, I mean, I want to give them right. a way to continue doing what they're doing and, and help them get legal, but I don't want them to think that I'm threatening them into doing this because, you know, that's not me. Uh, right. But, yeah, because, right. I mean, and, there are a lot. Yeah. I had two of them with me, and both of them had over 100 trucks that they were dispatching. Yeah, and and that that's interesting, the unlicensed broker topic, James. But I mean, first, his seventy-five thousand dollar broker bond. Uh, the FMCSA denied uh, the AIPBA's request for property broker bond exemption, and just like Tom said, putting uh, putting a lot of uh, uh, property brokerage out of uh, out of business. I think you said like uh, over forty percent is too high. They 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 denied the uh, your request for the exemption. What what reasons did they give, and and uh, why why don't you agree? Well, here here's the thing. They published notice of the exemption implications. So in other words, in August of 2013, we sent it in. We said we want all of the brokers and forwarders to be categori categorically exempt from this new requirement for MAP 21 from 2012 that goes into effect. 
as of October 2013. So nothing happened for you know, the longest time, and we went to the Small Business Administration, and we said, hey, we never got a response. And then all of a sudden, we get a response. And as of December 2nd of 2013, that's when all these revocations started. And for the next two weeks, we saw 40% of the small brokerage industry absolutely decimated, put out of business. We're talking about 9,800 intermediaries, both brokers and forwarders, during that two-week period. And at the conclusion of that two-week period, two weeks later, FMCSA announces they've accepted this application. Um, and what they said in the notice was, look, we want comments over the next month or so, and we want you to address two things. Number one, do you think we have the authority to grant this? And number two, if you do think we have the authority to grant this, exemption, then should we, based on the following three criteria? And we still come out finally after having to go back to the Small Business Administration again in January and say, hey, it's been a year, you know, over a year, still didn't get a decision on this. It's from 2013, now it's 2015. So we finally see the decision on March 31st get published, and basically they said, we don't have the authority. And the reason they said they don't have the authority was because we're asking for an entire class of people, namely brokers and forwarders, instead of one individual broker, one individual forwarder, everybody to be made exempt from this, uh, this new law. And, and, and basically they said, because it's a class, we don't have the authority. Meanwhile, in that same exact um, decision, they quote the law, and the law, and I'll paraphrase it because I don't have it in front of me, but basically the law says that FMCSA has the power to grant an exemption to either an individual or a class of persons. So that makes no sense. And what they did after that is they said, well, look, we're denying this on the basis that we don't have the authority, but let's spend government resources and let's talk hypothetically and let's do this, you know, this big additional portion of the decision that's not necessary because we can just leave it as we don't have the authority. And they say, well, if we did have the authority, let us tell you why we still wouldn't grant the, app, the application exemption. And that's really unnecessary. And at that point, it's very clear to us, it's very clear to our attorneys, and most people you know, are pretty smart and can see what's going on. This is not the decision of a neutral, arbitrary, uh, arbitrary, I should say, not a, you know, a, a neutral decision-making body. This is the decision of a defendant in a federal lawsuit, and that's basically what's happened. We have sued in two different courts, the basic federal district court and a secondary suit that goes right to the Court of Appeals, and we've challenged this bond on the basis of, number one, it being unconstitutional for various reasons, dealing with due process again and all. And number two, we say FMCSA didn't go through the right process in terms of rulemaking. They just kind of put this right through, and there's a whole process that they were told to do in MAP 21, and they're told to do in general in the Federal Administrative Procedure Act, and they just decided not to do it. And so we have two lawsuits, and what they're doing essentially in the decision is they're saying they don't believe we met these three statutory criteria to grant the exemption, but what they're really saying is that, you know, they're building a case for their defense for, you know, their, the lawsuit that we're, we're suing them in federal court. So 
you know, they, they're really not saying anything other than we don't believe anything that you have articulated here. And, you know, we, we put the evidence out there in front of them and we said, look, your own statistics show that 40% of the industry was revoked. And they acknowledge it essentially in their their uh, report that 9,000 people by the end of the month of December 2013 were gone, you know, 9,000 businesses. And, of course, that's not just individual people. That's companies that hire and employ other people. So, you know, we're talking tens right. of thousands of people that were put out of work. Well, that's, that's kind of, you know, that, that, that's basically they're saying, yeah, we know this, but there's still no basis, you know, for you to do this. And, of course, we disagree. Right. And, and you know, I just want to ask you a question. Um, of all these people put out, you know, I read a lot of comments from different people, and a lot of them will say, well, you know, if they didn't have the money for the bond, then they were probably, you know, either not a legitimate uh, organization or company, or, you know, they should have had that money for the bond. Tell me, how much more eventually does it cost for uh the seventy five thousand dollar bond versus the twenty five uh or was it ten? It was ten, right? And it went up to seventy five, right? Yeah. It was ten thousand for regular brokers and then right before this happened, a couple of years before, for like moving company brokers they had just raised it to twenty five thousand. So that's you know that's where we where you're seeing that. But but basically, you know, the I guess the best way to put this is that there were two uh groups or cohorts of, of um business people that were affected by this change. The first was existing brokers. So in other words, you have your license, you're maintaining your then, let's say, $10,000 property broker bond, and you're paying for it annually, which means you want to be in business. Maybe you're not all using it, but, you know, there's a plan to use, you know, your license because you're going to expand from that, you know, owner-operator, motor carrier, you know, mom-and-pop business that you have, and you're going to occasionally do excess freight and you're going to broker it out. So, you know, there's the existing people and 40% of them were put out of business. So 9,800 down to 9,000 after some reinstatements as of the end of the month, right? So we say 9,000. That's the first group. The second group has to do with the people who want to get into business, people who have never had a broker license and they want to try. They want to be entrepreneurs and they want to pursue the American dream. Those people have an entirely new obstacle ahead of them. So of the first group, the people who, you know, were already licensed and, you know, the question is what what does it cost for them to get this new bond, that depends on their current business finances. Basically, you know, their business credit report, their their financials in terms of, you know, their uh, net worth, their balance sheets, all all the the financials that accountants would look at, you know, that would dictate whether or not you're going to get the bond, and if so, what the cost in premium would be for you. And this was really the first time that we started to see, you know, a significant analysis of uh, brokers' financials for the purpose of granting this new bond that basically has more risk exposure to the bond company issuer now 75,000 instead of 10,000. So, you know, now they were looking at it more clearly. In the past, everybody pretty much paid anywhere between 300 and $550 per year, somewhere in that range, uh, for a bond no matter what. And that included $11 billion a year revenue producing uh, C.H. Robinson right down to, you know, John Doe 
uh, Joe the broker, I guess you would say, and yeah. uh, you know, you know, he he paid he paid the same thing. So now it depends on your financials. Well, a lot of people were able to afford it with you know maybe about a thirty five hundred dollar or so average bond. But other people, because of their financials, the bonding company says, well, you know, we're going to give it to you, but your premium is going to be $10,000. That's like the cap. That's the most that we saw, ten or 11000 in some instances. And so all of a sudden they said, well, you know, I can't afford to do that. That's too much. My revenue, you know, on this side of the $9,000. you are telling me now, you know, instead of a $500 instrument, i got to pay 10000 11000 That puts me out of business in this area. And so those people all went by the wayside. The new people that are trying to uh, to get their broker license, now it all depends on their personal credit worthiness because they don't have any business financials yet. And so really it's people who have, you know, um, a credit rating at an acceptable point are able to, you know, get it on the basis of credit or they have to furnish the 75000 And, you know, after the Great Recession of uh, 2008, 9, 10, there's a lot of people that don't have the best credit anymore. You know, because like many Americans, they went through a you know a big ordeal, and uh, and they're just out of luck. You can't start a business in America anymore in 2015 because you know we're we're uh, concerned about whether you know whether you're going to be the type of broker who um, is is not going to be able to um, you know uh, make good on your payments and. So you know, it's, it's a good thing to weed out bad brokers, but it's also, you know, a matter of do we give people the opportunity to actually go out there and create a business and, and actually build build up a business? You know, some of the brokers of course, we, spoke, there, we had spoken on our last show about other alternatives to fight fraud because let's not forget that this whole increase of the broker bond was to um, fight fraud, supposedly. And uh, we had gone over all the other alternatives that, you know, you could do uh, besides raise the bond. And we actually even got into the fact that raising the bond uh, does not get rid of all uh, all the bad weeds in the garden. So, um, you know, what what is uh, just what really, in your opinion, would have worked other than raising the bond. I mean, I know um, there's there's Transport Watch out there where you can report people. But, you know, what? how do you um, fight fraud? I mean, I think the first thing was the due diligence to research who you're dealing with. That's right. That's exactly right. And, in fact, you know, you have a due diligence obligation as a business owner when you're a, a motor carrier or a shipper you have the obligation to make sure you go and check out who you're doing business with. So you run the credit, you check your claims activity on their current bond. There's a bunch of different things, you know, that you can do to make sure that you don't wind up in uh, in the hands of someone who's um, got, you know, not so good ethics and, and integrity. But, you know, when I look at what's going down in the industry as a, you know, trade group president, as I'm looking at potential policy changes, the first question that I always ask is, what is it that the people proposing a change, what is it that they're trying to do? And when we looked at the issue of raising the bond, they said that they were trying to fight fraud, but we realized in actuality what they were trying to do is they were trying to fight competition and put small business out of business. 
And, you know, one of the right. things in my response, and, and, you know, I was on Sirius XM uh, radio with Mark Willis a couple of weeks ago, right after this decision came down, and, and I said, you know, um, the, uh, the, the, real, the real issue is when you're dealing with someone who has ulterior motives and when you have people that are out there that are, you know, trying to say that they, you know, they're, they're trying to do one thing, when the things don't add up, you know, you put everything, uh, everything together, you, know, you can see exactly clearly, you know, what's, what's really going down. And in, in essence, the same people who said, you know, that we needed to raise the bond to fight fraud were the same people five years prior who said, well, that's crazy. You don't want to raise the bond because that will have absolutely no effect on fraud. And, of course, we agree with those people. And after the bond has been implemented, has fraud gone away? No, of course it hasn't gone away because that really wasn't about fighting fraud. That was about making the business environment better for, you know, uh, the bigger business entities. And, and what I said to Mark Willis was I said, look, it's coming next in the trucking industry for truckers. I said, read the, the writing on the wall. Look, everybody, what's going on next? There's a congressman out there who wants to make bodily injury and property damage, commercial trucking insurance, $4.4 million. You know, there's a proposal from CSA for rulemaking. Well, I think we're going to now raise truckers' insurance. What's that all about? Is that really about making sure that there are funds available for, you know, for people for injuries that are reasonable? Or is it about personal injury attorneys trying to leak in more than they really should get? about big trucking companies and the trucking alliance want to put small truckers out of business. You know, so that's that's really what the bottom line is. And and when it comes to fighting fraud, you know, I've put out there what the real answer is. It's do your diligence and it's ultimately to have a fair bond that's adjusted for inflation. You do the same thing on insurance so that, you know, you're just adjusting adjusting for inflation and that's fair and equitable. So that's that's the way I see it. So you don't you don't believe then <clears throat> that the seventy five thousand dollar bond um, <clears throat> got rid of any of the fraud? I mean, maybe just a few or not enough where it would um, you could say it equaled putting so many people out of business who were doing a good service and you know making a living off of being an honest uh, an honest broker. But it's 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 a good thing that you asked that question because that's a perfect segue to this other issue that you want to talk about, which is dispatch services. What we've right. seen since those nine thousand eight hundred business entities went out of business as third party formerly licensed intermediaries, we have seen a surge, especially on social media, and I know you watch social media of course as well, and you've seen it a surge of people who are offering their services to arrange transportation. Hmm? That starts to sound like a broker. For compensation. Uh-huh. Yeah, that sounds like a broker too. And they're mm-hmm. saying that, well, I work for the carrier and I dispatch it. You know, for years I've taught this class called um, Introduction to Freight Brokering. And the first thing that we do is we talk about the difference between the term batcher works right. for a carrier and broker is an independent business person who could theoretically work for either side, but is being paid as an independent contractor, third party. And so what we're seeing now is all of these people who you think you put out of business and, and you think that they were defrauding people with a $10,000 bond, guess what? They're still there because there's no enforcement from FMCSA, and there, there hasn't been since that agency basically was created 20-something years ago. Right, um, 
when uh, ICC was disbanded. How long ago was that? 96, right? So uh, uh, 1995, Interstate Commerce Commission Act. So basically, for the 20 years that it's been in existence, we're basically looking at a situation where there's lacks of enforcement. They're off on worried about, you know, safety and only safety, not economic regulation. And, you know, they're captured by, at this point, you know, the safety advocates and, and also big business now. Uh, and they don't recognize the, the smaller players and, and their interests. And ultimately, you know, they, they really appear to, you know, not, not care too much about what's going to happen to the little guy in the system. And that's ultimately what, you know, what we're all about in the Small Business and Transportation Coalition. We need to band together. Not about brokers versus carrier, broker versus trucker. It's about everyone getting together and saying, hey, we're small business and we have the right to do business and we have the right to be around. Well, it's, it reminds me, <clears throat> of course, we use the word integrity so often. And what it reminds me of, um, people of integrity coming together regardless of what their role is in the industry. And that, to me, is the call to action. I mean, we we do that on, which you're also a member of, of the North American Trucking Alerts, where we're trying to get people of integrity who have a solution to the problems of the industry and to come together and um, and, and have a voice together. And, and it's it's very similar. That's what you're really calling for is small business, uh, and those, you know, with a uh, high level of ethics and things like that, where it can break that barrier of mistrust. And um, I think I think that's really important. I wanted to ask Tom. Tom, did the did the increase hurt you? You could have said it before, but I I, I can't remember um, if Alan asked you that yet. Well, fortunately, I had a very good you know record to that point where I had to pay it, but. Yes, the amount that I pay for my uh, my bond uh, quadrupled. Okay, so so it did, it did hurt you. Yeah. Um So yes, it did, it did you know hurt hurt in that way. But you know, I mean, in the other in another side of the way, you know, I mean, because I had the foresight to see what it was going to do, it it's helped me by you know bringing me some valuable agents. Well, and the other thing I want to ask James is it seems like the FMCSA must have had a heads up on this because in September, um, and I don't know if this was before or after, if it's coincidence, uh, there there was a, a calling for a, um, a a comprehensive enforcement program with uh, respect to unlicensed brokers. And it invited industry groups to report unlicensed broker activity. Now, um, had they seen the influx, and that's why they were doing that? I don't know that um, that it was really in connection with that. I think it was more really about uh, FMCSA responding to TIA's concerns that there were carriers that were out there, and I think that they probably mean, you know. Uh, bigger carriers, smaller carriers, uh, all, all different sizes, just carriers that were out there arranging for transportation for compensation but not doing it under a broker license. So they were skirting the whole process. So it really was in, in, in the context of that. And what you're referring to is an advisory opinion, basically, that came out 
regulatory guidance, I guess you would say, in September of uh, 2013, right, as they were raising the bond as per, you know, the minimum requirement in MAP 21. And they said, and, you know, we're going to start this big enforcement program now, and here's the website link, and we're ready to go, and, you know, start giving us your complaints, and we're going to go after unlicensed brokers. I don't know. Every time I contact them about an unlicensed broker, you know, I get nothing. So, it, you know, it seems like that's just not on their radar, and they're really not following through on that. And, you know, they said they wanted trade groups to help them determine who's operating illegally, whether it's carriers that don't have a broker license that are required to. Uh, and there's an exception to that. There's the interlining exemption. As long as you take possession of the freight at some point in the shipment, then you don't have to have a broker's license. But if you're not taking possession of the shipment, then then you do. And so, you know, they put out this big opinion, and, and you know, they're really not following through and cracking down on that. And since they didn't do that, now after all the um, the people got put out of business as brokers, they just changed their name. And they say, well, I'm not a broker. And I've had literally arguments with people on Facebook, and I'm sure you've seen some of them, where, and I've written articles about some of those arguments, and I literally said to them, explain to me again why you think you're not a broker. You arrange transportation. And what's their answer? And their answer is, well, you don't know what you're talking about. And I said, okay, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, here's the law. Here's the regulations. Here's when, under the definitions, you are declared as a broker. Now what do you have to say? Silence. No one ever actually responds. And they just hope that I'll go away and that we won't actually sue them. And ultimately, that's on our agenda. We're going to bring one of these dispatch services uh, into court, and we're going to say, we think they're a broker. Here's why. And we'll let the judge decide. Okay. And, I mean, and they do everything like a broker um, would do, only they call themselves a dispatch service. Yeah, I mean, don't they stand on, don't they say, well, I'm not a broker because I'm a dispatch service. I'm only operating um, for one single carrier. I mean, that's the only way they could, uh, that's the only thing they could come back and say, right? Well, if they say that they are exclusive to a carrier, then they are right. then they are falling under an exemption, uh, or I should say an exception to the rule of when you're a broker. So in other words, the only time that you're not a broker when you're being paid and you're arranging for transportation is if you're part of the bona fide operation of the carrier. So if you're a bona fide agent of that carrier, meaning all you do is work for that carrier, then you're not a broker. Then you're an agent right. of that carrier. But what we're dealing with is these companies that have set up these businesses where they're helping multiple carriers, multiple independent truckers. They're acting as, quote, their dispatcher. But what they're really doing is they're arranging for transportation. Now, the biggest argument that we've heard come back at us as to why people think it's not brokerage is because they don't, in some instances, they don't control the money. So, in other words, the shipper pays the carrier, and then the carrier pays the um, dispatch service. And that's not under the law and under historical precedent that goes way back to 1930s under the old ICC that all carried over once ICC was disbanded. The, you know, that's not, that's not the historical definition. It, it, it doesn't matter whether you uh, collect the money or not. That is the purpose for the bond, but that doesn't change whether or not under the law the description is brokerage activity that requires a license. So, but if they're not handling any of the money, right, 
then there's no risk for fraud. And then since the bond is created to uh, reduce or eliminate fraud, then they're probably thinking, then why should I pay a, a bond when I'm not a risk? Well, they're saying what they're saying is what's the harm? They're saying we, we can't possibly harm a trucker or a carrier because we don't handle the money. But there's a second level of harm and there's a second level of fraud, and that's against the members of my association. That's against duly licensed freight brokers, property brokers. So in other words, if you go around the, you know, the bend here and you try to skirt res, uh, regulation and you try to argue this, the law still says you're a broker. Your argument is, yeah, but, you know, I'm really not harming a trucker because I don't touch the money. But what you're harming is the broker that you're competing with who does have to have a license and who does have to pay for that bond. And now when it comes down to rates, you can undercut that broker because you don't have the same expenses that that broker has. So right, it's really right. not a matter of fraud toward the carrier or trucker in this instance now. It's a matter of defrauding the brokerage industry and unfairly competing with our broker members. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad you made that clear because at least it makes it a little better that, you know, they're, they're not uh, frauding, you know, financially the, the carrier. On the other hand, um, they're taking money away from small business. Uh, and and that's pretty much what you're saying in this. Yeah, pretty much well, a legitimate It's one portion of it, and then there's that other group that's calling themselves dispatch service, and they're handling the money without a bond. So okay, now that's a whole different. If can can you give me an example of that? I mean, you just gave an example of you know people who well we're not hurting anybody because we're not doing the money. I mean, if they're actually handling the money, then that's outright. Um, fraud right there, I mean, as far as just lying. Well, it's it's what we believe is illegal operations because you're supposed to have a license and you're not. I don't know that it necessarily constitutes fraud in in, in that context. I mean, if they said, hey, I'm a, a licensed broker and they weren't, that would be fraud. But, okay. you know, when they say, I'm a dispatch service, you know, um, but I just don't need a, a broker license, that's not fraud. That's just you're wrong. And you're going to find out eventually you're wrong, but, you know, in the meantime, you're collecting the money and theoretically, you know, you're most likely transmitting what's due to the carrier to him. But that doesn't always happen. And if, So what is the criteria for a dispatch service? What What is the definition, I guess, is what I mean. Well, let, let, let me just say one more thing on that point, and then we'll go to there, you know, that question. But, you know, if you're if – you're, if we're saying we got rid of all those, you know, bad, fraudulent, um, you know, brokers because, you know, of that 40%, 39%, let's say, were all bad people still around, and some of them are holding, you know, are, are um, uh, actually taking the money and then not getting it, then what did we really do, you know? I mean, all we did was say, well, we're going to create an environment where you technically need a license, but no one's ever going to call you on it, and so go do whatever you want. You know, it's a free-for-all. Um, mm -hmm. As far as your question goes, uh, you know, what, what really constitutes a broker, I really like to talk about it in this context of, well, I arrange transportation, but I'm not a broker because dot, dot, dot. So we've already covered I'm not a broker because I don't touch the money, right? And there's, there's that issue. And then there's people that will say, well, I'm not a broker because I do touch the money, but I work for the carrier, 
and you're only a broker if you touch the money and you work for the stripper. And mm-hmm. so you know, that's that's another level of this, you know, that's also wrong because the law says, you know, the rules and regulations under CFR uh, 49 CFR 371 says you can be a broker under this definition either on be and, and arrange for transportation on behalf of a shipper, a carrier, or even a receiver. It doesn't matter who you work for under the regulation and under the definition that's in the regulation. All that matters is that you're doing two basic things. You're arranging transportation, and it's your business. You're getting hired to do that. You're making money. You're receiving uh, compensation. And the only exception is if you are exclusively doing this as a third-party vendor for one particular motor carrier. The minute you serve a second motor carrier, guess what? Now you're, you're basically a third-party independent contractor holding yourself out to multiple people. And when, when you do that, you actually break the entire essence of what we know as agency. You are, you are an agent if you have a fiduciary responsibility to your principal. You cannot be an agent if you have a, a fiduciary responsibility to two competing carriers. Which one are you going to choose to place that load? They both need the load. You have a responsibility mm-hmm. as an agent you know, to both of them. The minute you choose one over the other, you just broke the theory of agency, and now under the law, you're not an agent. Right, right, okay. And I guess uh, you have explained that to people, and they just uh, don't want to hear it. No, you don't know what you're talking about, because I'm a dispatcher. Okay. <laughs> well, Tom, Tom <laughs> let me ask you. I mean, you were, you know, you a, a driver for 44 years, and now you're a, and now you're a broker. I mean, what, what's your take on this dispatch services and and the this unlicensed broker issue? I think that, you know, uh, they need to be licensed. They, you know, they need to be a broker. Basically, a guy using a an owner-operator using a dispatch service, uh, to me, it's not business smart. You have no guarantee with nothing, especially if they're handling the money. And you have no recourse if they don't pay you. He's negotiating rates between shippers, offering it to multiple carriers, handling the money because he doesn't trust you to pay him. But why do you trust him to pay you? Mm-hmm. you know, and you, there's no bond no at recourse. all. And there's no bond at all, so you have no recourse if he doesn't pay you. You can't even go to court because you were using an illegal service to start with, and no lawyer will even let it into the courtroom. But do, but, but do they come out and tell the driver, do they, just, do they just actually tell the driver, hey, we're not a broker, oh. we're a dispatch service? I don't know if they come out and tell them that or not. I'm, I'm sure that they yeah. do. I've had uh, I've had uh, uh, small carriers, you know, one, two, three crux, you know, you know. I don't use brokers. I have a dispatch service, uh, you know, and I've had them tell me this on the phone. But you know, he's not protected. He's not protecting his business. He's not operating with good business sense because, you know, I'm not. They maybe they just don't know any better. And they probably don't, or they haven't been burnt and, and tried to collect. I, I got well, something to add on that, and 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 this I, I think this is this is a real important point. 
So, you know, some some of this, you have to understand that, that some of these dispatchers that are working and holding themselves out as dispatch services, what they're doing, and many of them are doing this, you know where they're getting the freight for the trucks? From a broker. So, in other words, number one, they're already inserting a second middleman into the equation. You know, one of the things right. that I said back Back in the day when we were fighting the TIA on the $75,000 uh, bond for three years and uh, or two years, I guess it was, and um, you know now the fight is five years long, what I used to say is, well, so you could go to a big broker, and that big broker hires agents, and there's, and Tom, you're not going to like this, and I always get into trouble with some of my broker members over this because, you know, this this becomes a matter of that, you know, mom and pop, real small person that, uh, you know, that we're trying to protect, you know, and ultimately, you know, depending on what the take is and, and how bad the, the brokerage is on the transparency side, and we know Tom's not like this because he's a member of AIPBA and a board member, but we know that there are some companies out there and they post on social media, they say, hey, guess what? We're making 45% on the load. Now, if you're making 45% on the load, folks, I'm sorry, but there's no way that you can convince me that you're not at least ripping off one of the two parties, either your truck or your shipper, if not both. And what they're doing is they're earning two, quote, earning. They're, they're taking two broker commissions, one full 22% average, um, you know, depending on, on, on who you are. I mean, the small brokers typically, you know, are at 12 to 15%, but a lot of the, the bigger carriers or the bigger uh, logistics companies, they're aiming to get 22%. They say that in some of their publicly filed records and, and stock, stock uh, you know, reports. And they're doing it twice, one for the agent and one for the broker. So you can go to those people or you can go to one of our members who's taking a reasonable, you know, percentage. And even those that have, agents are still not trying to rip you off and, and get 45% of the transaction. So it's the same thing, you know, in this scenario, why in the world OIDA doesn't call me? I'm waiting for Jim Johnston to, to pick up the phone or Todd Spencer in response to the AIPBA's invitation to crack down on this. Why wouldn't you go after these people who are taking a second broker fee, essentially, some of them collecting the money and, you know, they're, they're basically causing the trucker to earn less. That makes no sense to me. And in a scenario where they are touching the money, let's follow the, mon- the money trail. If you go from the shipper to the broker, the licensed broker, right, that, that transaction is protected by virtue of the bond. Now it's $75,000 bond. And now that broker gives the load to this particular dispatch service who does collect money on behalf of his carrier or trucker client, what happens when the shipper pays the broker and the broker pays the dispatcher, but the dispatcher doesn't pay the trucker or the carrier? In that case, you know what happens? Under most standard truckload bills of lading terms, it goes back to the the shipper. The shipper actually has a double liability. They've already paid the broker, and now they've got to pay the the trucker again because he didn't get paid. And ultimately, you know, if, if they don't know enough to, uh, to go that route, they don't have a, a lawyer, they're too small, that trucker might just write it off and say, I got burned. I got burned by this guy who said he was a dispatcher. And I thought he was going to do the right thing, and he never gave me the money. And that goes back to due diligence again. 
Yeah. Well, you know, right. you know what you do? Do you think this is in this equation? Know the definition of broker. Use essentially one broker instead of two. Use a licensed broker that's got a bond, you know, preferably a member of a trade group like AIPBA that has a, a good reputation for good, honest people with integrity. Use one broker who's licensed. That's all you need to do. That's what brokers do. We dispatch people. You know, we just call it something else. It's called brokerage. And if you ever have a, um, uh, let's say you want to just feel better about who you're dealing with, isn't there a way you can look up uh, on on a government site, just like you would a carrier, and find out everything you want to know about that broker? Yeah, I mean, you can look up on the same system you look up motor carrier, Safer, safersys.org, mm-hmm. you can uh, look up and see if a, a person who's purporting to be, you know, uh, in business to arrange for transportation, you know, you, you can look and see if he has an active MC number, and if he does, that means he's got a bond on file. You can actually look and see who the bond issuer is. First thing you should say when you're doing business with somebody, you know, and they're going to arrange for transportation is, Number one, are you a broker? And they'll say, no, I'm not one of those bad people. I'm uh, a dispatcher, you know. And right. <laughs> you're not licensed. Uh, well, yeah, well, but, but we wouldn't be one of those licensed crooks. You know, we don't need a license because we're dispatchers. You know, don't buy that. Don't, get, don't fall in that trap. And if they start talking about handling the money, oh, my goodness, stay as far away from that as you can, you know. So you can uh, right. if, if they yes I'm a, a broker here's my MC number and and I think you know I don't know if everybody else knows but you know as of um, October 23rd I think of this year there are going to be no more MC numbers it's all going to be USDOT numbers for brokers carriers private carriers for hire carriers so for now MC number but a year from now if you're here if you're listening to this. Um, you know, on a playback, and, uh, you know, here we are in April of 2015. So if it's April 2016 when you're listening to this, folks, now there are no longer any more MC numbers, and you're looking to confirm either a carrier or a broker has a USDOT number with an operating authority connected to it that declares them as actively licensed. Okay. Okay. So it's a USDOT with authority. Okay. All right. Well, look, our dispatcher services are signing are signing the contracts also for the carriers with the broker. The dispatch service is signing that contract. Well, I send a broker agreement, uh, a carrier broker agreement over to the carrier, and the dispatch service is signing it for the carrier. Hmm. What a mess! Oh my goodness! It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen anymore because I stopped doing that one when James brought this issue to light to me. I, I. I send all of the contracts that it has to be signed by the carrier, and I pay the carrier direct. Uh, uh, but I actually I just don't do it anymore because of, with the dispatch service, uh, you have the carrier call me, and I'll be happy to deal with him. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, they're signing the contracts for the carrier, so uh, it's really hurting the broker there because if there's an issue, the carrier didn't sign that contract. Who's liable? Yeah, and and in most of those cases, what they're doing is they're actually covering themselves by getting, and this is the dispatch services, covering themselves by getting the carrier to issue a limited power of return. That enables them to lawfully, you know, execute that document. But, you know, they're clearly brokers because they're doing it with multiple people. So, 
you know, that, that's yeah. the whole definition of uh, Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I've learned quite a bit tonight, and um, I'm sure a lot of people are confused. You know, sometimes we we know in life just enough to be dangerous, and, <laughs> and, that, and that usually what happens is when um, people start posting as though it's fact and true when actually they only have a half-truth. And that's why it's so important, you know, before you go full force into um, speaking with anybody as though you do have authority on a topic to make sure you do to do your research on that topic. So, um, <laughs> basically, you're saying know what you're talking about. Before yeah, you talk that's about it. that's pretty much what I'm saying. And I mean, we try to do that all the time. You know, instead of just blurting out something, you know, make sure that um, that you totally understand it. You know, if you're especially if people are are going to listen and you know take it as fact, so I'm I'm really happy about tonight's call. I guess is the bottom line of what I'm saying to get all this information out uh, to the listening audience. So uh, really appreciate you guys. Hey Tom, I wanted to ask you, uh, what's on your website that uh, truckers can go look at it? I know you have a lot of valuable information up there over at your trucker uh, truckbroker dot com. Well, we're building all the time with that, uh, but. All right. My intention was to have a place, you know, where they could go and get any kind of service they need. Um, if you if you have internet access, well, everybody does now with their with all their smartphones and all that stuff. But basically, you can go on our website if you're broke down on the side of the road. And I tested the system once myself when I broke down in Sacramento, California. Within 10 minutes, I had a tow truck on the way and a shop scheduled to do the repair, and I never left my truck. Uh, but basically, that's what we're trying to provide, a database where they can go and find anything they need from uh, a Walmart, a Petco, a, a truck stop, a repair shop, a, a dealer, a, a, a towing company, anything that the driver needs. Uh they can go there and find that information all in one place, and they can rate the services that they use. Um, if there's a service that they use that's not there, they can post it to the site themselves. Oh, and I mean, do you go through that and make sure you know it's a good service and everything? Yeah, we we everything has to be you know approved and. Uh, okay. You can comment on the on the services that you get that people, you know, if you have a bad experience, you have a good experience. Of course, you know, we moderate all of that and, and make of sure course. that, uh, you know, <laughs> some people don't, don't have a big vocabulary. Uh, but, um, yeah, that would be a mess if you didn't. That's the first thing I'm thinking of. <laughs> right. Okay, but, Tom, yeah, I... no, and, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I'll finish my thought. Um, yeah, we're just trying, we're trying to create a place where they can go because, you know, you go, you try to look at something on the, search for something on the Internet, and what do you get? You get a big search page from Yahoo, uh, and then you click on that search, and it takes you to another search page from Ask, and you click on that search result, and it takes you to another search result from uh, uh, some other search engine, some, you know, and you're, you're, with our site, you can find what you're looking for and be done with it before you even find the site on some of these other search engines. 
We're just, sounds like you need an app. That's, it, that's what it sounds yeah. like. You have an app on a website. <laughs> hey, I wanted to ask James. Oh, go ahead. Well, we're just trying to make a, a community where it's all trucking-oriented services, and, and uh, we included Walmart because a lot of truckers use Walmart and Petco. They carry their pets and PetSmart and things like this, and we're always adding services. But we want one place for them to go to get all the information they need without a bunch of advertising and people trying to sell them stuff and uh, registering their emails for a bunch of junk mail because we don't do any of that. Okay, yeah. Awesome. And that's, uh, that's yourtruckbroker.com. The, the letters U R U R truckbroker dot com and go ahead Donna you said you had oh, a I, well today. yeah James um, I know you can't say too much but just say whatever you can you you have some kind of an announcement well we have we have big news uh, I personally have big news and I can't tell you yet I can't tell you okay <laughs> that's the announcement. Well, no, but I'll give you a little more than that. So um, you, you very much know that we've been working on Mike's Law, the gun law, right, uh, over the last year. And we've been dealing with Marco Rubio, senator, uh, Republican senator here out of uh, Florida. And we're very close, I think, to getting it introduced in the Senate. We're just looking for that final person in the House. And ultimately, he's been really good to us. And so, you know, he's about to make a big announcement here in South Florida and Miami on Monday. And when he makes his announcement, I'm going to make my announcement. And I will be telling you how I will be helping him in furtherance of what he's about to do, which I can't tell you, but I think I, uh, you know what it is. Well, and, we all uh, kind of know. We're all expecting it. <laughs> right. So when he says what he's doing, I'll tell you what I'm doing to help him ultimately try to do what he's trying to do, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So. <laughs> Well, we're pretty excited. Um, I'm pretty excited about it, and uh, I look forward to hearing his uh, his announcement on Monday. Yeah. So, all right. Well, hey guys, uh, our time's winding down, but really appreciate y'all coming on, Tom, James. Thanks again, and good luck with all you're doing, and and we'll just kind of keep rolling along, and uh, we'll wind it down here. But we'll take a quick break. And uh, Don, do you have any announcements? Yeah, I have. A, I have an announcement. It's. Um, I mean, I could. Okay. I can kind of tell you now. Um, well, i got to take a break. All right, go ahead. Take a break. And be right back, and we'll wrap up this broadcast of uh, Ask the Truck of Life. Okay. Heads up, truckers. Are you looking for deals on trucks, trailers, parts, or equipment? Or maybe you need to sell something truck-related. Well, there's a great spot on the web where truckers deal with other truckers. No middlemen involved. That's why we call it TruckerToTrucker.com. There's no charge at all for looking. And if you want to place an ad for what you're selling, it's just $19.95. And it runs till it sells. So whether you're buying or selling, it's time to log on and take a look. TruckerToTrucker.com. Check it out. That's TruckerToTrucker.com. Hey everybody, Alan Smith here, and I want to tell you about TruckerLawyers.com. TruckerLawyers.com helps drivers with their legal needs, and they specialize in workers' compensation, trucking accidents, employment law, and other areas. TruckerLawyers.com arms you with important information regarding workers' compensation and your legal rights, and they are also available to help you find assistance for additional legal issues. This includes determining how to get you the best benefits possible for your situation. The website 
website, truckerlawyers.com, is a resource where you can learn more about your legal rights as a driver. Feel free to continue the social media conversation by liking them on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash truckerlawyers and follow them on Twitter as at truckerlawyers. Call them to talk through your questions at 1-800-736-5503. I just want to announce that on um, April 25th, and this will be in between my health show because I've been doing the health shows on uh, Thursday evenings and uh, because of Ellen's uh, new schedule. And uh, we're going to be having on Saturday, April 25th, 6 p.m., uh, Kyla Lanier, it used to be Lieberg, I was just ready to call her Kyla Lieberg, from Truckers Against Trafficking. And uh, she's going to be on the show and giving us all the updates of uh, what's going on with Truckers Against Trafficking. If you go to Ask the Trucker, you can see our latest post uh, about um, Kevin Kimmel, who who was awarded the Harriet Tubman Award uh, for saving that incredible story. And, and she's going to talk about it on the show, the 25th. But basically... Um, this is a gentleman who parked to rest, a trucker, and he noticed, and I won't get into the details, you can read the article, but he noticed something just not right about the RV that was next to him. And truthfully, it wasn't anything real profound. I mean, he really had to go on a gut instinct as well as uh, his observations. And anyway, he saved a 20-year-old girl who was kidnapped from Iowa, from a life of uh, slavery, of forced prostitution. So these people are, you know, in jail and they're being charged with uh, human trafficking. And this is just the great um, courage of one truck driver. And, and there's many of them. If you go on truckersagainsttrafficking.org, you can read about all the truckers who are who are coming up to the play and, you know, making a difference. And like this guy said, um, Kevin Kimmel, he had a comment that was really, it, it impressed me. Because so many people don't call because they don't want to look foolish or they don't want to be wrong or they don't want to make a mistake. And in his mind, he thought, you know what, if I make the call and it's true, I just saved somebody's life. And if I didn't, oh well, I gave somebody 15 minutes of their vacation that's a little uncomfortable. And that's how we have to look at things when we see things that aren't right. You make the call, and if it's not if it's not correct, if you, you were wrong, your gut was wrong, or your observation was wrong, then oh well. But you know what? Supposing that you're right, and I just hats off to this gentleman. Um, just so it, I tell you, I had chills reading the story. And actually, if you read a lot of the other stories uh, on truckersagainsttrafficking.org, you can read about all these things and everything the organization is uh, doing for the um, not just the trucking industry, but for an entire uh, population 
in the United States, bringing back people who have uh, been trafficked, kidnapped, uh, run away, got in the wrong hands, all kinds of things. And, and I'm really looking forward to hearing Kyla. She hasn't been on. She was on, what, Alan, about a year ago. She's been on about three times since they started in 2008. Yeah. But but uh, we're definitely due for an update, and they're going to be sending us videos uh, for our new trucking social media website. Um, uh, we'll have more about that later, too. It's too early for me to announce anything about trucking social media right now. Uh, but So mark it on your calendar, April 25th. You don't want to miss this show, 6 p.m. It's a Saturday. And uh, we look forward to it. And that's all for tonight from me, Alan. That's it. All right. All, well, announcements. all right. Well, thanks for joining us this evening. Be sure to bookmark us and add us to your favorites. And uh, thanks again to Tom Byerly of YourTruckBroker.com. Check that out. James Lamb of AIPBA, SBTC, uh, DOTAuthority.com, to name a few. We appreciate it. Hey, we'll leave you with one of my favorite tunes from fellow truck driver and independent recording artist Tony Justice on the web at TonyJusticeMusic.com. Peter built. 379. Thanks again, everybody. Have a great evening. You've been listening to Ask the Trucker Live with Alan Smith. On behalf of Alan and Donna Smith, AskTheTrucker.com, TruckingSocialMedia.com, NorthAmericanTruckingAlerts.com, Blog Talk Radio, and Ask the Trucker Live. I'm J. Michael Collins. Until next time, drive safe and thanks for listening.
Peter B. 